are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locks on Podcast Network. Your team every day. You're listening to who? Always wonderful. And might I add, handsome host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. For today's show, we got Ryan Finkelstein on today's pod. He is the Locked On Mets host, so we're going to talk about the Mets offseason, who they're interested in. We're going to talk about their new ownership. We're going to get into a whole bunch of things pertaining to baseball and the Mets. So it's going to be a great podcast with Ryan. But first, if your company is interested in reaching men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Diamondbacks is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 and 44. So if you want men in that age range, this is your spot. Plus, our rates are the most reasonable around. Email me at LockedOnDiamondbacks at gmail.com to find out more. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account at LockedOnDiamondbacks for the podcast handle on both Twitter and Instagram. All right, all right, all right. Let's jump right into it. And here's that conversation between Ryan and I. We got Locked On Mets host Ryan Finkelstein on the pod today. Ryan, say what's up to the D-backs listeners. What's going on? Glad to be on here. Yes, we're talking to Ryan today. We want to talk to him a little bit about the Mets. For the offseason, it's been very slow for a lot of these teams, especially if you're a D-backs fan. I mean, I can't even tell you one player the D-backs are linked to or even rumored to be interested in. I mean, it's been that slow of an offseason. But for you, a Mets, you know, talking about the Mets, it has to be interesting, is it not? I mean, there's actually things going on, at least with the New York Mets. Yeah, it's funny because if you went back to even last year, James McCann would be maybe the highest tier free agent the Mets would target. And now that's just another name the Mets have been linked to almost every big free agent. So it's a big 180 for me to try to do a podcast completely different than the one I've been doing the last two years under the Wilpons. Yeah, what do you think that, why do you think that is? Is it because of the ownership like you just touched on? Is it that big of a deal to go from the Wilpons to this new ownership and Stephen Cohen? It is completely different. I mean, I don't know if for people who aren't familiar with the Mets, I don't know which horrible owners in sports history come to mind first, but when it comes to the Wilpons, ever since the Madoff scandal, which happened, you know, around 2010, the Mets have been operating as a small market franchise. And beyond that, a bad one where there were so many PR disasters and, you know, every single week on Locked On Mets, I would at some point be ripping the ownership. So now you get to a point where they have this new owner who's the richest owner in baseball, who's a Mets fan, grew up rooting for the team, and he just speaks the language of Mets fans. There's never been this much excitement surrounding the Mets, and they still haven't played a game yet under Steve Cohen. 
Yeah, and right now the direction of the Mets look a lot better. Like you said, the fans seem to be a lot happier with this new owner. And you guys, I, I think people forget, you guys were in the World Series back in 2015. So it's not like it was that long ago. So what do you think the Mets have to do to get back there next year, you know, potentially next year, maybe three years down the line? What are you looking for from this offseason to help propel the Mets going into the future? Well, it is kind of crazy how Mets fans are now in that mindset of World Series or bust. Personally, just looking at this team, I think every year that the Mets don't get Jacob deGrom into the postseason, that's like a baseball sin. I mean, the guy has not pitched in a playoff game since the World Series in 2015. So with deGrom in mind, the Mets just have to build a more competent team around him. They made a big first step by adding Trevor May to help out that bullpen. I think they need at least one more starting pitcher. And then from there, I think the biggest thing with the Mets right now is they have a lot of offensive talent, but they have to make the defense make a little bit more sense. They need a real center fielder. As much as Brandon Nimmo is an awesome offensive player, it'd be nice to move him into left field and get someone like George Springer. And then obviously I already mentioned James McCann. That's the other big need for the Mets is addressing the catcher position. Yeah, it looks like the Mets are going to be getting James McCann. I mean, they're talking. They're expected to sign the deal. They're engaged in talks with George Springer, but nothing, of course, official. And they might also be in play for Trevor Bauer. So if the Mets are able to get McCann, George Springer, and Trevor Bauer, what kind of grade are you going to give on this Mets offseason? I mean, that's an A for sure. You basically address all your needs if they go through that and they end up getting those three guys. Even if they don't get Bauer, if they were just to get, you know, Springer, McCann, and then whatever mid-tier starting pitcher free agent, whether that's, you know, the higher end with Jake Odorizzi or even someone like Corey Kluber, I think the Mets will be in really good shape. A lot of people also forget that Marcus Stroman came back to the Mets on the qualifying offer. That was really big too. So I think they're looking a lot better already than they were at the end of last season. And it's just trying to fill out the roster from here. Yeah, if you're able to get DeGrom, Stroman, and Trevor Bauer, I mean, name an, another nastier one, two, three combo in Major League Baseball. And I think with Trevor Bauer, we know the season he just had. He won the Cy Young, but of course, it was a COVID season. It was only 60 games. And if you look at Trevor Bauer's career it, outside of 2020 and 2018, he hasn't really lived up to being a Cy Young kind of guy. So, do you think if you went out there and signed a Trevor Bauer maybe to one of those massive contracts, do you think it could come back and hurt the Mets and maybe turn into an albatross kind of a contract? Yeah, that's why I just mentioned there where I wouldn't really mind if they went a different route than signing Bauer. He's clearly the best guy. I mean, there's no debating that, but it does come down to the price. And I look at Trevor Bauer and would I want to pay him upwards of $30 million for a long-term deal? I don't think the Mets necessarily have to go that, that route when you think about the fact that Noah Syndergaard should be coming off Tommy John at some point next season. You still have Stroman and DeGrom. David Peterson had a really nice rookie year. And Steven Matz can't be any worse than he was in 2020. So they have some options. I don't think they have to get Trevor Bauer. But obviously, if you're just looking at the short term, that would be the best move. But I am really concerned with his lack of track record that maybe this was just a shortened season pitching against some weak central offenses. I think there's definitely some, um, some room there for him 
to fall back a bit. Yeah, and looking at this Mets team from the 2020 season, there are a few guys I really like on this Mets team. I like your outfield with Conforto, Brandon Nemo. I like J.D. Davis, and I love Pete Alonso, but he had a little bit of a down year in 2020. Was there anything that you saw from Peter Alonso that was different from his rookie season? I mean, his batting average took a dip, but he still had that, pow- uh, that power, that raw pop. So what, what did you see in the difference from year one to year two for Pete Alonso? I think for Pete, it was your typical sophomore slump, but I think it kind of got magnified because of the shortened season. And this is a guy that really stepped out in a rookie year and became the face of the Mets really quickly. And there's a lot of pressure with that. So he comes into this season with all the expectations, coming off the rookie of the year, you know, leading the league in home runs and all of it. And I just think he really started to press when he got into that slump. And we saw him break out of it by the end of the season. I'm a little bit concerned that at times those type of slumps might be a problem for Alonzo moving forward. And honestly, I actually like Dominic Smith at first base almost a little bit more than Pete, which I know some people who maybe don't watch the team every day might be a little bit shocked to hear. But to me, Dominic Smith has a much higher floor than Pete Alonzo because I don't see really any holes in his swing. And, If you go back through Dominic Smith's career, the last two years, he has been awesome. And that's really tied to a issue that he had with his sleep. He had sleep apnea, Mm. got that figured out. And ever since he's gotten well-rested, the guy's been a hitting machine. So the Mets are really set at first base with either of those two guys. All right, all right, all right. I'll continue that conversation between Ryan and I. But first... between Ryan and I. So how do you get Dominic Smith more into the lineup then? Of course, we know entering this season, Robinson Cano was suspended for the full year. So can you see one of those two guys maybe making the transition to second base? Well, so Dom's a lefty, so he's not going to play a second, but he's played left field. Uh, He's not great out there. And this is where the DH really hurts the Mets if the DH doesn't return because they were all set I think moving forward to let Dom be the first baseman and have Pete DH. Now they're in this tough position where you're going to have to sacrifice some defense to get both of those guys in the lineup. So this could be an issue where maybe we'd see one of them get traded for the right player just because there's no DH. So if you had to pick one of those two to move off of, who are you keeping? Are you keeping Dominic Smith or are you keeping Pete Alonzo? See, I would keep Dominic Smith, but I don't think there's mm. any chance that the Mets would trade Pete Alonzo. So I, I think if, if one of them moves, it would be Dominic Smith. And I think he could be the headlining piece in a Francisco Lindor, uh, Nolan Arenado type trade. Yeah, I was going to say, is anything a guarantee anymore in baseball? I mean, we just saw Mookie Betts get traded last offseason. Seems inevitable that Francisco Lindor gets traded. I don't know why these teams keep moving their superstar players. They go into these trades, they move off their superstar players, then they try to get back prospects in return that are going to live up to the player they just traded. So it's always a cyclical cycle, and I just feel like it never works out. So for the Mets, I hope they are able to keep both of them because I don't think you should give up talent 
in hopes of acquiring more talent. If you already have that solid superstar player, just keep him and let him uh, just keep him and let him keep rocking out for your team. Now, Robinson Cano, as I mentioned before, he's suspended for the full 2021 season. So is there anything the Mets can do to get off that contract? He's still going to be making 20 plus million after he's back from the suspension. Is there anything the Mets can do to move off of Robinson Cano? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know what team is going to be able to eat. I mean, unless the Mets ate a ton of money on the contract, but when he comes back, I have to look up his age. I think he might be 39 when he comes back yeah. after the suspension. So, oh. I mean, to, to try to trade someone who's now been suspended twice for PEDs at that age, at that contract, I think at this point, the only thing that comes out of this is I think that that pedigree of being the high-priced, you know, former superstar player whose contract kind of dictates playing time, mm-hmm. I think that's out the window. I think when he comes back, he's going to be probably a left-handed bat off the bench, and he's going to have to earn playing time. And I don't think he's going to be very popular either. So you've mentioned the DH rule. We don't know what's going to happen. So just from your point of view, your perspective, what is your feeling on the universal DH? There's a lot of mixed feelings about it. I'm a guy that's all in on the DH. I don't want to see my pitcher hitting. I don't I don't agree that it takes more strategy if you have your pitcher hitting. I think it's more strategy if you have to try to pitch around a guy like David Ortiz. So what's your feeling on the universal DH? Do you want to see it kept in Major League Baseball in 2021? Yeah, this was something that my perspective got completely flipped this year. I was always, you know, a National League proponent. Got to love the double switch and all that stuff. But really when I watched it play out, it's so much better to – no longer have to see just that easy out with the pitcher. And also, honestly, I think the way that catchers have, are kind of going right now, I almost feel like the catcher is going to be that, that pitcher spot in the lineup soon where you're just going to get defensive catchers on every team, and that's going to be kind of the easy out. So I look at the universal DH, and it just makes too much sense to not have def- different rules for each league. It played out a lot better. You didn't have that weird World Series where you're switching rules halfway through the series. It just makes more sense to have a DH moving forward. And honestly, like we just mentioned with Alonzo and Dominic Smith, I also have that bias attached where I want to see the DH because for the team I cover, that's what they need moving forward. So I hope that Major League Baseball and the players can come to terms on this and just just keep that rule because that was the one rule I liked the most out of this season. Uh, so you weren't a fan of having the runner start on second in extra innings? No, I, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of cover in minor league baseball. So I had seen it played out for a whole season before. And I get that some people talk about the strategy, but to me, seeing a game decided by a sack bunt and a sacrifice fly, that's just not a satisfying way for a, a close baseball game to end. But I do understand for the regular season why, players might not want to play those 17 inning games anymore. Yeah. And I guess, like you said, I agree for the satisfying part, you don't feel like you're getting the full satisfaction out of it. But again, these games are ridiculously long and it's more about the pace of it because if you actually just look at the time of the game, baseball games on average are actually shorter than NFL games. It just, the pace doesn't make it feel like that. So do you think there's any way for baseball to, speed up their pace should they go these seven inning games should they put a a pitch clock on these pitchers what can baseball do to 
hopefully speed up their game and get some more younger audience eyeballs on their sport. It's one of those weird things because I feel like Major League Baseball is so focused on pace of play that they institute some of these rules that alienate the fans they already have. So I don't know if you should go all in on a seven-inning game and and some of these rules. I, I do think the pitch clock is fine. I mean, I've seen that played out. I don't think it really affects the game too much. It just stops your your the pitchers that are just those rain delay pitchers that take forever. It just speeds some of those guys up. So I think that makes sense. And I also think maybe a little bit of urgency between innings or urgency in getting the relievers loose. But I don't really know how they can really speed the game up where it would make that much of a difference. That's it for this edition of the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Switch it up on you guys today. I know you guys are probably expecting those five biggest winter meeting moves in Diamondbacks franchise history. That list to continue, but we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's pod. And I got a part two with Ryan, the final discussion we had, the final segment, because we couldn't fit it all into one podcast. So you'll hear the rest tomorrow. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!